Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's David Tuttle and Astros master of banter, Blummer. Bleachers are open. Tuttle and I are here. We're hanging out. There's plenty of content. Our producer, Mark, is probably just freaking out because he's got to edit this podcast and probably cut and paste 19 different things. Or he can just let it ride for all I care, to be honest with you, because we we have pretty good banter before the podcast starts uh, just because we enjoy each other's company. We both have separate minds and we have ideas. And, you know, with everything that is going on in the world, we focus on sports here on the Bleacher Blums podcast. My name is Jeff Blum, 14-year Major League veteran, current commentator for the Houston Astros. And my co-host is David Tuttle, who has vast experience in the world of baseball. He is a crossfitter. He's an ex-Team USA guy. He played college baseball, played nine years in the minor leagues. He is a father of multiples, just like I am. So we are going to bring this Bleacher Blums podcast to you with a lot of fervor, a lot of ideas, a lot of comments, maybe even my dog chewing on a bone in the background. But it is always a good time to be on this podcast. You can get to us at bleacherblums.com. And of course, on social media. You can get to Tuttle at Real David Tuttle on Twitter. You can get to myself at Blummer27 on there. And this podcast is on every major podcast platform you could think of. So make sure you rate, review, and doggone it, get on there and subscribe. Help us out a little bit. Share it with your friends. I know you enjoy it. Let your other friends enjoy it. Don't be selfish. Share the wealth of Tuttle and Blum. And on that note, I'm going to bring Tuttle in and just see how things are going. What's up with you? What's on your mind? How you doing? What is up, Tuttle? Blummer, what's up? Bringing the heat today, man. Second cup of coffee. Woo! Woo-hoo, it's kicking in. Um, you know, you know the listeners. Uh, we love to get political on here, but uh, California had a uh, <laughs> a recall a recall election this last week. And the one thing that stood out. So uh, the governor will stay in California, but uh, and I'm joking, obviously. No, no political uh, viewpoints here. But I will say the one thing that jumped out in the newspaper about the election is I think there's 30 million people in California. There's at least 20 million eligible voters. And I think something like six and a half, seven million people voted. So, you know, they made such a big deal about the recall election. They couldn't even get a third of the people to come out and make a decision about, <laughs> you know, something that, you know, most people think is important, I guess. But, you know, we just California can't get it squared away. So. Hopefully it's going better over there in Texas, but I'm doing really well, Blummer. Um, I know you're in the middle of your 17 day in a row work mm. uh, work furlough program, and yeah, it gets a little gets a little monotonous, but uh, everything's going well out here in California, and I'm looking forward to some playoff baseball and the fantasy football season's Gosh. off to a, a a blazing start for me in our league. I got a I eked out a W, and I feel like the <laughs> the the momentum is in my favor, so. Anyway, but uh, yeah, everything's going really well out here, so it's ex- I'm Good. excited to be with you. Well, I'm glad. I'm really glad that your fantasy football team is doing great because I'm already mm. in one week freakout mode because mm. two of my starters went down with catastrophic injuries. I had Jerry Judy and uh, who was a gallop for uh, Dallas, both going down with high ankle sprains or lower leg injuries and injured reserve lists, and you Ugh. know all, immediately. Uh, you know, I'm I'm in the middle of broadcasting a game, and I'm getting the alerts on my phone about these guys getting whacked, and immediately I'm on the waiver wire. I've now downloaded, I think, about six different podcasts that are just strictly based on waiver pickups, and I I went bonkers. And the reason that I got to go bonkers is because I am the second to last team as far as scoring after the first week is done. Uh, luckily, our commissioner John Adams took it, you know, took it right in the can and uh, pulled up the rear. But uh, I was able to sneak out picking up a couple of decent waiver wire pickups. But I'm in full freakout mode as far as a GM is concerned. Plumber, where's the panic button? Jeez, it's week one, and now we have 17 right games. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, seriously, the panic button. I mean, injuries stink. Gallup's injury looked terrible. Heads, heads but, are uh, falling off. I've had it with this dump. We got no food. We got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off. Yeah, that's right. Our pets' heads are falling off. I just think, uh, you know, for a baseball player who's used to a 162 game season, a one game, you know, one game, and you're already in full panic mode. I told you this last week. I'll repeat myself a little bit, which is Zeke Elliott. Um, the the Cowboys what specifically is that guy doing no the Cowboys specifically decided that they're not going to run it in Dominican Sue and you know. 
that Vea dude in the middle, they're going to, you know, use him as a blocker and, you know, go around, you know, use the wide side and, you know, they have a, they have a way easier game this week against the Chargers. Oh no, my bad. They don't. So it'll be, uh, that's messed up, bro. Yeah. It'll be interesting, but, uh, come on. It's Zeke Elliott. Like, don't panic. If we have the, if he has the same, if he has the same week this week, then, then we'll find the panic button. Oh, so I can week two panic. Yeah. Oh, for sure. That's just not fun. week one. Back to back weeks of freaking out. Okay, I'm hey. freaking out, man. How good did Dak Prescott look? Yeah, I was actually awesome. thoroughly impressed. I love that guy. Yeah. Oh, he's incredible. And I mean, just we the just about the, him last week. Yeah, know. we did. We did. But that's all right. He looked awesome. Yeah. What I was gonna say is that the panic button. You don't want to hit that for a couple of weeks. I've been listening to um, a gambling podcast, and the guy's saying like, "Look, they <laughs> don't. don't yeah, don't, don't don't touch it." <laughs> But they were saying that uh, like nobody even knows what's happening. Get into week four, and then you can really start looking at the lines differently. But right now, everyone has their opinions about like this and that, and you know they got to hit this and this. I mean, it just doesn't. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Nobody knows what's going on. Yeah. Well, I mean, Washington and the Giants last night. I took the Giants plus four. They should have won. Yeah. I mean, they were going to win. They were a four point underdog, and they should have won the game. And you know they covered, but. Uh, my point is, everybody thought Washington was going to run the run the table with with the Giants, or you know, run them up and down the field. And now you have a nail biting game. I mean, it's just it's the NFL. It's week to week. So, like I said, if Zeke has another bad week or a third bad week, then maybe the panic button should come into play. But don't worry about it right now. My question for you is, Moose Fraba, when you down, um, um, when you download five or six podcasts, all waiver driven. What do you do? Do you take would you do you take the consensus of the players that are on there or do you just go, "Oh no, this guy looks good." Yeah, I mean, how does how does that work when you get a ton of waiver information because sometimes there's information overload. I mean, I'm guilty of that with gambling or fantasy. Oh yeah. Oh, I, I'm all over it. I mean, the one guy that I kept hearing about though was Eli Mitchell from San Francisco and uh, Mosert going down. Actually, that one actually made sense. And I did pick up Eli Mitchell, but we know that Shanahan, the head coach for the 49ers, will probably play three other guys in front of him, or Sermon will all of a sudden be the feature back. And I'm going to sit here holding on to, you know, the third tier running back and whatever, dude, that's going to happen. Gosh, it's going to oh. happen. Oh, you're worried but, already. Uh, yep. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's funny to me when I do listen to those podcasts and then I start looking up on websites and, you know, the player ranking on that guy is like 256 and I'm going, wait a minute. I thought this guy was going to be somebody and he got 1.9 points last week, but he's just supposed to explode this week. I'm like, so yeah, I do get a little information overload and I, and then, you know, how the internet is, I mean, all of a sudden you start clicking on things and you're down 38 different websites and you're going, Oh, this website has him as the hundredth ranked player. I'm going to pick him up. And all of a sudden I've got this guy who just, you know, taking up space on my, on my roster. But if I need to remember that if my regulars do what they normally do on a regular basis, I will be okay. Tuttle has talked me off the ledge. I will be okay until I'm allowed to have the week two freak out, which I probably will next week. There you go. That's a common theme in this podcast. Tuttle talking Blum off the ledge. Constantly. Um, are we going to do uh, St. Arnold? What's on tap, right? Yeah, we can do St. Arnold. They're going to tell us what's on tap. I've got uh, some news around the league uh, on my end. And then uh, in my Blum's blast, it's gonna, I'm gonna, I might get a little political and I might get a little angry. Just telling you. What do you got? All right. That's fine. And we were going to talk about uh, Brooks Kepka and what Paul Azinger had to say about that, as well as... Uh, Maybe a Weddle Tuttle say here towards the end of the podcast with uh, maybe with a family-driven theme. I like it. But maybe not the family-driven theme that you think. I know. You always have good ones. The Weddle Tuttle is always good. You actually hit a nerve last week with the uh, placebo <laughs> buttons around town. Uh, <laughs> now it's, it's become a running joke with a couple of Twitter followers that we do have on uh, on Twitter. So the, you know, the placebo effect of standing at the crosswalk and just absolutely – beat hammering the the crosswalk button so that you cross the <laughs> the the street a little bit quicker turns out that uh, our producer mark looked it up and 100 out of a thousand stoplights they're actually fake
fake and we've all been played and we're now going to be on candid camera somewhere just, you know, hammering a, a, a button that goes nowhere. So stay tuned for that what'll Tuttle say. Um, let's just jump into some news and notes around Major League Baseball because it is kind of an interesting time. Like Tuttle said earlier, the Astros are in the middle of a 17-game straight uh, a streak that they're on playing games. Uh, they're, they're actually in their last 40 two or 43 games are playing right at 500 baseball, but the A's aren't able to gain ground because they keep losing. Seattle Mariners keep losing. So the Astros, I'm going to go ahead and say right here, are going to be the American League West division champs. Uh, because they, They're already the champs in Blum's mind. Yeah, they are. I'm just watching what's going on around the league and yeah. how many games are getting marked off. You know, seven, I think their magic number as we sit here is 10. And they have seven more games against the Oakland A's, I think, to or six more against the Oakland A's to finish off the season. But uh, if you go around the league, it's actually pretty interesting because there are certain races that are locked up. I will try and go through them as much as I can because the National League East is kind of interesting with Philadelphia playing well. Bryce Harper's tearing the cover off the baseball. Oh. But uh, the Milwaukee Brewers are going to win the Central. Uh, dude, talk to us about the West. So the two teams that have clinched playoff spots for sure are the San Francisco Giants and the LA Dodgers who have the two best records in the national league. They're in the same division, dude. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I think I'm worried about that a little bit in football too. When you have the NFC West that they were talking about, when you have the Rams, the, the, the Seahawks and the, uh, the Niners and I mean with that and that's just going to be a, a dog fight too and they think three teams may come out of that league but I'm worried really about the Giants and you know all year long we've been talking about them that's my squad I like them they kind of have a no-name pitching staff when you get past um Gassman Gaussman Gassman I can't even pronounce his name Gosman excuse me Gosman but uh but you know and I don't mean a no-name like nobody knows who those guys are but they've just been pitching like crazy and and you know, and they got a solid group of veterans, as we know. I mean, maybe not quite as deep as the Astros, but you got, you know, your Posey and your... Hey, dude, they can hit. Longoria yeah. coming back makes things yeah. interesting, man. No, I agree. But you got your Posey, Crawford, Longoria um, type guys in the lineup, Bryant. you know. Yeah, and Bryant and Belt. So you got those kind of guys. But then you have all these young guys jumping in there. Yastrzemski's hitting about 225 on the year. But man, he keeps getting clutch hits. And Duggar was a first pick. And I mean, you know, these guys yeah. are just playing so well. Hey, Lamont Wade Jr., have you been Ugh. watching what that guy's done? That, guy, that guy's oh. a beast. I think he has five pinch hit home runs this year. I mean, and <laughs> did they, they got that's him in not a normal that's scouting though, because they got him in a trade from the twins, yeah. I believe. I mean, like he Dude, I never even heard of the guy until he came to the Giants, but he's a legit player. And I think he's gonna be, I mean, any team would be happy to have that guy, but mm -hmm. maybe I just was sleeping or maybe he was playing in Minnesota and that's you know just too far out of the realm of you know, media attention, but man, that mm -hmm. dude is really tearing the cover off the ball. And I mean, they have so many contributors. I mean, just guys are playing well, but, but I guess the point about that West is you have the Dodgers and the giants and I'm just worried about them beating each other up. They don't play each other anymore. Thankfully the Padres, obviously 18 games back are still trying to squeak in. They're going to, they're going to have a tough time getting in, but they have the hardest or the most difficult record in baseball to finish out the season. Cause I think yeah. they finish out playing the Dodgers, um, you know, the St. winning Louis. percentage is like 594 and St. Louis is trying to get in and they're in the playoff mm -hmm. spot now for the first time since May. So you have the, the Cardinals, <laughs> the Dodgers coming to town to try and keep the Padres out of the playoffs. The Giants can hopefully stay above that, right? Cause the bot, the Padres are going to be fighting like crazy. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, the Giants have maybe a slight advantage there, but man, if that gets into, all right, say the Giants win the West outright that would be the best case scenario for me the Giants fan if they end up tying and they have a one game playoff to go to the wild card and then determine the winner and then I mean that's just so then they could get into a five game in both leagues that's right and then you could get into a five game series and have yeah. to use up your guys to get through that I mean that that for a fan would be best case scenario but as a Giants fan you'd really want them to win the West just like as a Dodger fan you just want them to win the West but man Look at their records, I mean, against everybody else in baseball. I'm looking at, you know, it just catches my eye at, at night. You know, it's like some team is 75 and 73 and they're in second place. and They're going to be in the playoffs. And you look at the Dodgers and the, the Giants and they're 94 and 50 or something. And you're like, oh, my gosh, like they're just 
I mean, they're just on fire. So my concern as a Giants fan is that, you know, the war of attrition may win out in the sense that they're going to fight so hard to win the division or fight so hard to get, you know, into that five game series that they might be worn out if they can make, you know, whatever team makes it through all that Mm -hmm. is going to have a really hard time in the championship series and the world series if they get that far because of beating each other up. And you already mentioned the Astros. I think the Astros might have an easier road um, in that they're already way ahead. They're already doing some things and maybe the strength of schedule may not be as difficult, but it might still be tough for the Astros because of the bullpen. So Blummer, what about the other teams? You mentioned, I mentioned St. Louis is now in a playoff spot. The Padres, I don't think, I mean, they're 18 games back in the West, but I don't know where they are in the wild card. Like, where are they? I've got that. Yeah, they're, the San Diego Padres are a half game back in the wild card and they're a half game behind the St. Louis Cardinals. And guess who they're playing this weekend? Uh, let me guess. They're playing the St. Louis Cardinals. <laughs> So I mean, this is what's amazing. Down the stretch, it's going to be great. And then you have the Dodgers playing the Cincinnati Reds, who are a game out of uh, the wild card. So the, the the Dodgers are going to have an effect on what happens to the Padres if the Padres can take care of business within you know their, their realm of playing the St. Louis Cardinals. It's amazing how the schedule is set up. But uh, there's the potential that you will have the Dodgers against the Padres in the wild card to play in. And then once they do play in, then they have to play the San Francisco Giants. So it's very similar on the on the American League side where you have the, the Yankees, the Blue Jays, and the Boston Red Sox all vying for a wild card spot while the Tampa Bay Rays have kind of taken away that uh, American League East situation. But those, those are teams that I'm worried about. And you bring up an interesting scenario because there is the opportunity, especially in the American League, to have – hold on a second. Blummer's dog. A little b- dog interlude. Maybe we should take a – how about if we take a commercial break while Blummer's dog uh, does his business? The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts that help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. All right. Hey, we're back. Um, And uh, Blummer, yeah, you were finishing up your thoughts about the playoffs. I wanted to just chime in about the schedule makers, which that's hilarious because it's pretty arbitrary. I know they wanted to have this team and this team. And I know many years in the uh, National League West, they always have the Dodgers and the Giants playing each other. And some years it means more than others. But this year, they've already kind of finished their schedule against each other. But gosh, the fact that the Dodgers play the Padres and the Reds and the Cardinals and, you know, the Padres are in that mix too. It's kind of like... I mean, it's serendipitous, but it's like, who who threw a dart at the board and made this happen and got lucky? I mean, and you said the Phillies are tearing the cover off the ball. At least Bryce Harper is. I mean, it's just, there's some haymakers being thrown. I, I watched, uh, gosh, I think the A's were up like 12 to 2 the other night, and I think they won the game 12-10 or 12-11. It was like, I thought I'd turn that game off, and it was like, they were hanging on, yeah. So yeah. anyway, so it, there's some exciting baseball to go on. So finish, finish what you were saying before uh, your lovely dog jumped in. No, I think that's. I think we just need to recognize the fact that yes, the schedule makers have gotten it right somehow, some way. I don't know how this algorithm worked out, but they have teams playing against each other that will have an impact on their playoff possibilities. But you know, you said it just recent, just in the last couple of sentences that you had. This is great for baseball because it includes five, six different cities and fan bases who are watching their teams go out there and and, and try and fight their way in. You don't know what's going to happen in the playoffs. Maybe a team gets hot, but at the same time, you're in, you're enabling these fans to be able to turn on the TV, to buy a ticket to a game, and watch some really good baseball be played out and actually see the impact in the standings as these teams fight for those wild card 
spots. I think there'd be a lot of disappointment in San Diego if the Padres don't get in with all the money they've spent. But at the same time, hey, we got in. Oh, we got to play the Dodgers again. So, you know, it's kind of interesting how that works out. And being in the wild card, you've got to be really careful about the starters that you use because if you look at the American League side, and right now the Yankees are on the outside looking in, but if they play into that wild card position, they have you know one ace, and then they have Jordan Montgomery and maybe uh, Jamison Tyon coming back. But Garrett Cole is going to be your guy. So you win that wild card with Garrett Cole. You go into a division series, and he's not going to pitch until the third or fourth game. And that's where it gets kind of sketchy and kind of interesting. But at the same time, that you know that familiarity breeds so much contempt. And then you add the playoff situation into it. You could get some really fervent uh, fan bases getting after it, and I think that would be a lot of fun to watch. But the fact that fans are engaged, I think, is everything for the game of baseball and uh, makes it a lot of fun. So around the league, just a couple of other things. Uh, Salvador Perez, catcher for the Kansas City Royals, 45 home runs. He has just tied the uh, the catching record or most home runs by a catcher, Johnny Bench. I think that is something that deserves some recognition. I know he won't win MVP, but I would really like to see him get some MVP votes. Uh, how surprised are you to see Salvador Perez get to 45 home runs playing at Kauffman Stadium, no less? That's a big ballpark. Yeah, I watched uh, I watched a couple of highlights the other night. And he had a bomb to, I mean, really right center. I mean, it was center field, mm-hmm. but uh, I was impressed. I mean, he's, he's obviously always been a decent catcher. Um, you know, when they were in the World Series, he got some notoriety. I don't think... I don't know if anybody saw him having, you know, the power surge that he's had, but, uh, you know, I mean, 45 home runs in a kind of a non-steroid, you know, I mean, 40 home runs is a real big marker, right? What do we have? Otani, Vlad Guerrero Jr. And, um, Perez. I mean, there's three or four guys at 40 and that's it. You're right. So, I mean, he's fantastic. And I also think on a team that, as you said, Kauffman stadium, but on a team that isn't really fighting for much, I think teams, if you go in there, you can kind of pitch around certain guys, right? The Royals lineup. I mean, let's try and name five guys in the Royals lineup. Go. I mean, you know, it's part of your job, (laughs) so you know them. But for me, it's kind of like, well, I know Perez is there. Uh, They got rid of, you know, Hosmer and they got rid of Moustakis. And I mean, all these guys that you thought of as Royals when they were doing something, you can't name all the guys in the lineup. So that's that always makes it more impressive right because there's basically i agree and it's the same as miguel cabrera really it's like all right you know if you don't have a guy batting behind you it's like all right let's just watch out for this miggy guy oh gosh he's got 500 home runs and 3,000 hits son of a gun like he just does it no matter what and i feel like that's that's probably the thing that sticks out to me as prez is doing this on a team that you know i mean he can kind of be pitched around or hey let's not let this guy hurt us and he's got 45 bombs so it's yeah quite impressive It is impressive. We're going to play the name game in a little bit. Um, I'm going to throw out a name and see if you recognize it and know who it is because there's an interesting number around him. But first, I want to talk about Starling Marte, who is with the Miami Marlins to start the season in the National League, got traded to the Oakland A's. He is currently the best hitter as far as batting average is concerned in all of Major League Baseball. He, I think he's hitting 321, 322, and about four points ahead of Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Trey Turner. He will not win a batting title this year. Is that not unbelievable? He will be the best hitter possibly in Major League Baseball, but he will not qualify for a batting title. That is a crime. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, the thing that jumps out to me again is Madison Bumgarner's no hitter, right? I mean, seven innings, that was the rule that they set in place. And then, nope, sorry, not a no hitter. It has to be nine innings. Well, I didn't see that in the rule book. Are you saying this is minimum at bats per league, right? So he didn't have the yep. mi- minimum at bats in American League and minimum at bats in the National League. And he's hitting 322. So, yeah. So, in order to, in order to qualify for these, for these plate uh, batting titles, sorry. home run titles, plate appearances, you've got to have 3.1 plate appearances yep. uh, per game. That comes out to 502 plate appearances over the course of a season and him being traded at that trade deadline, he's not going to qualify in the National League. He's not going to qualify in the American League. He has got to suck on that fact that he is not going to be a batting champion yet. He's going to be the best hitter in baseball. I hope they find a way to honor him somehow. Uh, you know, but what a what a dubious honor and a little quirk in the in the rules of Major League Baseball, unfortunately. Yeah, for sure. I mean, maybe he gets a silver slugger or something, right? Based on position. I mean, they I gotta, hope so. Yeah, they got to find a way to do that. But yeah, that's. I mean, isn't that funny? What What did you do last year? Oh, I was the best hitter in Major League Baseball. Oh, really? Yeah. What did you get for that? Yeah, I got nothing. I got a. I got a handshake and a. Exactly. Yeah. 
big slap on the butt on the way out the door. How about this? I want to ask you, do you know the name Ryan Mountcastle? I do. You do? I do, yeah. How do you know his name? How do I know his name is great? So maybe because we're on a baseball-driven podcast, I know Ryan Mountcastle's name (laughs) only because... I watch MLB.tv and they show the same four snippets every time. And Ryan Mountcastle hit three home runs in a game for the Orioles on like April 27th, 2020 or something like that. And they show, have you seen the little interludes they have on MLB.tv? I have, and I know exactly. They just burn those things out. That's right. I mean, it's the same ones over and over. So I'm like, oh yeah, Ryan Mountcastle, three home runs or four home runs. So that's the only way I know his name. So I know he was an Oriole or is an Oriole. And I know that he hit three home runs in a major league game it might have been his first game ever in the big leagues which is what made it special but uh yeah you know i i just that's the only way i know his name but uh i, I have a feeling you're going to give me some better numbers well i'm just going to give you one more number because the home run number for him is actually one of the more amazing things because as it sits the baltimore orioles have been eliminated from playoff contention for a good two weeks now they're eliminated you know, they're third- for next year already. <laughs> no, I'm yeah, kidding. They have I mean, been. Like, <laughs> sorry, folks. If you're a Baltimore Orioles fan, you're out this year and already next year. Sorry. No, anyway. So. Yeah, because currently they are 43 and a half games out of the uh, American League East standings. They are sitting at 47 and 99 on the verge of losing 100 games this season. But Ryan Mountcastle, to Tuttle's point, has been the bright spot. He did have that three-home run game. But last night, he hit another home run for number 29. And the reason I bring that up is because when I was growing up, I was a Cal Ripken Jr. fan. And Cal Ripken going to the World Series his rookie year, winning rookie of the year, he hit 28 home runs as a rookie. So guess what? In this year of infamy, Ryan Mountcastle broke the rookie home run record for the Baltimore Orioles in hitting number 29. Yeah, that is awesome. And you know why you'll know his name is now if you're looking at Cal Ripken's records and you're going down the little record list, it'll say second for rookie home runs and Mountcastle will be ahead of him. And that's pretty, like you said, just... It's it's amazing um, when you watch highlights or Sports Center or anything like that, and they show like the five people. When we talked about Joey Votto, you know, like who's mm-hmm. got the you know best OPS plus, you know, in the past forty years or something like that, and you're on a list with like Ted Williams and Babe Ruth. You're like, oh, that guy must <laughs> yeah. be pretty damn good at his job. So I think to your point, like Ryan Mountcastle just being associated with Cal Ripken Jr. and you know the Orioles. I mean, Adam Jones was a solid player there for a long time, too. I love Adam. And, you know, he obviously didn't hit 28 or 29 home runs in his rookie year. So, um, you know, hats off to Ryan Mountcastle. And I love these numbers. So you've got, we've got Salvador (laughs) Perez with home runs. We've got uh, Sterling Marte or Starling Marte not going to win a batting title. And Ryan Mountcastle had just had a a fantastic year amidst the the mire that is the Orioles, you know, bane of existence. The lone bright (laughs) spot. They are the bane of existence. The lone bright spot in the season for the Baltimore Orioles. That's all I've got for uh, Major League notes around the league. And uh, Tuttle, I'm going to put put the ball in your court. Here's a bounce pass. Give me a layup. All right. Um, So we wanted to talk about uh, Brooks Kepka a little bit. Uh, You mentioned that you watched the Golf Channel. I did not. I was reading an article on uh, Paul Azinger. Uh, speaking to Brooks Kepka or speaking about Brooks Kepka's comments regarding he doesn't like the Ryder Cup format, which that's so funny because I believe the Ryder Cup's been around uh, much longer than Brooks Kepka has. <laughs> I don't like this format. It's kind of like, well, uh, that's the format and those are the rules. And as we always say on this podcast, just tell me what the rules of the game are. And uh, then exactly. I'll just try and I'll just play amongst those rules. So Kepka came out and said something about the format, like, I'll, you know, I'll kick ass at this format, but, you know, I do my job and the other guys don't do their job and I get punished for that is kind of the tone of his argument. It's like, dude, uh, the Masters champion that got uh, shunned, what's his name? Uh, Patrick, DeSham- yeah, Patrick, oh, uh, Patrick Reed. Reed. Patrick Reed. Sorry, it came to me. Well, it's turned into DeChambeau. Patrick Reed is usually the guy. <laughs> That's right. But Patrick Reed is a guy who wants to be on the team, and he's good at this format. And he got left off when who Stricker um, made some choices, and Kepka obviously earned his way on. I guess you know the top ten players plus like four, I guess captains' choices, captains' picks. And, uh, you know, it just, it does seem a little disingenuous to be kind of earn your way onto the team and then kind of, I don't know, be subversive or be divisive when it comes to, you know, actually being on the team. Cause you could obviously give your spot up to somebody and let the captain make another choice. So 
I think the whole uh, rigmarole to be a little more clear for the listeners is that, you know, Kepka was kind of critical of the format, which, as I said, has been around for a long time, but also, you know, very selfishly saying, you know, I held up my end of the bargain. Um, you know, why don't you do yours? Which, you know, let's put that in baseball terms. You know, I'm pitching and uh, shortstop makes an error and I look at him and go, hey, you know, you cost us the game. You know, it doesn't it doesn't quite work that way. And you're not a good clubhouse <laughs> guy. I watched, uh, again, we'll always go back to the Giants, but I watched uh, a Giants game and uh, Di Sclafani, two outs, you know, crucial game and two hopper to third baseman and Bryant throws it into the stands. You know, man on second now, two outs, you know, crucial situation. And, you know, Di Sclafani got the next guy out. I mean, that's your job, right? Next man up, do your job, pick each other up. And I realize that golf lends itself to some selfishness. I mean, it's a very independent, very alone, I guess, loner type of game. But hey, if you're going to be on the Ryder Cup team, then why don't you suck it up and do your part to be a, a good teammate? So I, I'm a little, I'm in Azinger's corner. Like, look, you do not have to mm -hmm. be there and you do not have to participate if you're going to be divisive and a pain in the ass to the rest of the team. And what what did we hear a long time ago, Blummer, right? There's no uh, I in team, but there is an M and an E. I think that's Kepka's, uh, that's Kepka's mentality. Mm -hmm. what, what, what did you hear and what do you think about that? Uh, I, th I thought it was very interesting and I thought it was very intriguing. And I think the reason that you and I kind of reacted the way we did, because when you first hear the comments of Brooks Kepka, you're going, what a selfish punk. You know, and, but that's because our mentality, you and I growing up or anybody who's grown up in a team sport atmosphere says we, you never say me. And the second you hear me, you go, oh, that guy's a selfish punk. But to your point that you just had, golf is a very independent individual team. The accountability is on yourself and your caddy sometimes, but ultimately it comes down to you swinging your golf club and making your shot in order to win your tournament. You're not splitting the winnings with anybody other than your caddy and maybe some, some of your team as far as a masseuse or a swing coach and things like that. But the interesting thing about the Ryder Cup is, is that you play individually for 11 months out of the year to, to make this team and you make the team as an individual and you're expected to play as a team member. And I think that's where Brooks Kepka kind of, kind of lost in translation said what he said, because the Ryder cup is, is something that I think, you know, you and I have watched over the years. And if you're a fan of golf, you've watched it. It becomes almost an Olympic sport because it's team oriented. It's team USA versus the world, literally. And you get some great matchups, you get um, the camaraderie, you get the, the fanaticism for each country that is being represented. And again, it's the it's USA against the world. That's pretty much how we feel in all of our sports. So there is a great sense of pride as they go out there and play. But once you get into that team atmosphere, you know, there's certain days where you will play as an individual, uh, but it's a, an accumulation of points to win the Ryder Cup. But there's also an event where you play alternate shot. And I think that's where the comments of Brooks Kepka, who insanely said this before the event starts, is I, what if I go out there and I make the shot and, you know, the other guy screws me over and puts me in behind a tree or in the bushes or out of the rough and I've got to play his shot? What if I don't want to play his ball? I mean, he even took it to the fact that what if I don't like the golf ball that my partner is playing with? And now Steve Stricker, Stricker the captain of the Ryder Cup, has to say, uh, okay, well, does anybody want to play with Brooks Kepka today <laughs> or do I put him on the bench and just let him play individually? So I think it, it creates a unique dynamic. It created a, a unique banter, uh, you know, watching the golf channel and hearing some of the commentators and, you know, talking about Brooks Kepka, you know, comparing him to Kobe Bryant and saying Kobe Bryant was an individual. I think that's appropriate to a point, but ultimately Kobe doesn't win if he doesn't have Shaq on the team. So you need some complimentary parts. And instead of using your teammates and lifting them up, Brooks Kepka kind of said, you know what? It's about me. That's all I'm worried about. How are we going to do this? I don't like it. I'm, I'm bitching and moaning about it. But I do like that Azinger kind of, you can uh, mention the Azinger quote if you want, but it was kind of like, if you don't like it, beat it, you know, because there are other yeah. guys that would love to be in this position and you're bitching and moaning about it. Yeah, I just think, you know, we you can bring up Kobe if you want, but he played in a team sport and he tried to get the team to kind of rise above. I the thing that that you just triggered for me was uh I mean, watch Brady and Aaron Rodgers and DeChambeau and and Mickelson get out there like, I mean, they just pick each other up. Now, granted, it's for charity and there's a lot of fun there, but I mean, can you imagine standing over your ball on a 12-foot putt after Kepka just put it on the green in two? 
um, you know, you hit the drive, Kepka gets on you, you know, gets you near for an eagle putt, and then you miss the putt for 12 feet and Kepka instead of going, Hey, you know, that's great. You know, I'll, I'll make the birdie. He's in your ear going, come on, man, I got here in two and you can't do your job. Uh, you know, it, it would be frustrating ultimately to be a teammate with a guy like that. Now, what he says in the clubhouse or what he says when they all show up as a team, maybe a little bit different than what he says, uh, what he says when he's by himself or what he says when they say, oh, the quotes are out of context. Because we know very well that sometimes the media has a different handle on what is actually going on in the clubhouse. And I have a feeling in the next week or two, I'm not sure when the Ryder Cup starts next weekend or is it this weekend? I think it's another week. I think it's this weekend. Oh, okay. So this weekend when they get in the clubhouse, maybe he's got everything organized. But uh, I don't know. I just, I just, you know, I've played golf with you. I mean, we play in these like scrambles and it's kind of fun and we don't play next ball. But I, you know, we, we bring up John Adams, who we've had on the podcast a bunch, man. The guy's so fun to play golf with. And, you know, he'll say, close your eyes and put the ball over there by that tree. And I go, that tree, like 50 <laughs> yards away. He goes, yeah, that's your line. You just got to follow that tree. You hit the ball and it like curls around and goes right in the hole. And you're like, oh, I guess he knew what he was talking about. I mean, he gives you that confidence. And I could just imagine, like I said, Kepka getting, getting you on the green with a second shot. You have an eagle putt for 12 feet and you miss it. And then he's shaking his head at you like that <laughs> on hole number three, that builds confidence throughout the round that that should be good team USA camaraderie. So that's my mm-hmm. concern. And that's Azinger's point, which is like, look, we're playing for our country. We're playing together. Um, you know, either get on, you know, get on the boat and row in the same direction or get out. Yeah. But I like the idea. I, I, I'm hoping and I'm assuming, and you know this too, once you finally get inside the clubhouse and you have those conversations and you kind of air it out a little bit, you get past it. I think that yeah. these guys are professional enough, good enough to get past it. But I like your idea of wouldn't, you know, wouldn't it be great if he actually gets on the course and he's pleasantly surprised at the fact that he has got somebody other than his caddy kind of pumping him up and kind of saying, you know, look at this line, look at this a little bit differently because I feel as an athlete and even as a broadcaster, you know, talking to players and coaches around the league, I'm just trying to get as much information as I possibly can. And I hope he doesn't miss out on an opportunity or opportunity or he alienates himself from the ability of enjoying the event itself and enjoying maybe making some new friends and getting some new knowledge. It might actually make him a better golfer. Who knows? Yeah, I say two to one odds that there's a quote. I don't know if it starts today or Friday, or today is Friday, excuse me, and if it starts this weekend or next weekend, but there'll be a quote saying, "Oh, Kepka's on board," and you know he spoke to the team, and you know he's <laughs> ready to he's ready to go. I say I say that's going to happen probably before the Ryder Cup tips off. Uh, or tease off, I should say. So, hey, Blummer, uh, what'll Tuttle say is going to go on the back burner today, and we're going to go with Blum's blast first. You said that you had something uh, that's eaten, eaten away at you inside. It's causing you to, to really have some fervor and some energy. So, uh, yeah. let's hear what uh, we got for Blum's blast today. Yeah, it, it's not a good one, and it's and it's really disturbing. And the reason it kind of irked me a little bit is because I am the father of four girls. Tuttle has twin daughters, but just you know, seeing. Seeing how the female lives in in the world and in society and understanding how they can be targets just because of their femininity, their beauty, or, you know, somebody thinking that they're inferior. And it, and, and then this has kind of been eating at me just because it's been a little more in the news in Houston just because Simone Biles is a gymnast, the greatest gymnast ever to walk the face of the earth. And so I've paid a little bit more attention you know, you have the opportunity to meet somebody. She's a wonderful human being and understanding how hard it is to perform at that level. And then you add into this whole situation, Larry freaking Nasser, who was the gymnastics doctor for years and was sexually abusing these women. And with the testimony that we saw in front of Congress with uh, the FBI director, Christopher Ray. And some of the faults that they've had knowing this information since 2015, and they wait until 2021 and 20 to find out that this guy is going to get 100 years in prison pissed me off. And the FBI is a big enough entity that they can go out there and and prosecute people in a t- and put people away that should be put away. But I think in this given in this moment in society and the politicism of everything, they lost sight of protecting these women gymnasts. And it just, it pissed me off. 
I wish it never happened, and I I don't know what to do about it. I know that the proper people are being put away. Larry Nasser, like I said, is getting a hundred years, but fire some ass, man. Get rid of some people. Re- reboot the system because the fact that this fell through the cracks and wasn't a priority for six years drove me nuts. I don't know how you feel about it, but it, it, for whatever reason, I kept hearing news about it on the fringe, but it was never at the forefront, and it just really. It blew me away that the FBI could put this on the back burner for as long as they did and not do it. I mean, I I don't have all the information, but the fact that we're hearing about it six years after this came to the forefront is what got to me. And there, there needs to be a shift in the system where, you know, women become a priority and then you add into that these poor women having to testify for years and seeing how much pain is still carried in there just, just fired me up. And I just wish there was a way to correct it. Yeah, you know, I think, I mean, I, I think there's so many things there. I, I just think, yeah. you know, we we talked about 9-11 on the last podcast, and I remember them talking about the FBI, not talking to the CIA, not talking to, um, you know, foreign intelligence and all that. And since that time, they've tried to kind of get a more central uh, system, a central way of communicating. And so everybody has the same sort of intel and everybody has the same knowledge. Um, you know, this still kind of reeks of like old boys club, you know, like this guy's an agent here and that. And I just, I mean, we gotta, we gotta, I mean, the transition has to happen. It should have already happened, which is like, who the hell Deshaun Watson, all these other things come out. Who thinks that their text messages are private these days, or who thinks those emails aren't going to come out? You know, Fauci said some things and then some emails came out about that, you know, contradicted what he said regarding some vaccination. And it's not that what he's saying is false one way or the other. It's just that just putting that appearance of impropriety or the appearance of being a little disingenuous, like, hey, I have all the information. I'm going to kind of disseminate this information as needed is really frustrating for the American people. And like, we may not be as smart as everybody, but hey, I can read an email just like you can. And if you don't think we can handle the truth, right? You can't handle the truth. Mark, there's an opportunity for you, Jack Nicholson. Uh, You (laughs) You can't can't handle handle the the truth. But my point is, is that you know, anybody that thinks they're going to pull the wool over somebody's eyes via an email, like you said, like what came out is the fact that we had to testify now after with some apology saying, yeah, you know, we really let these girls down. And I think you used the word women. When these, when these women now who are testifying are 22, 23, they were girls. Five, six years ago, they were 14, 15. What are they supposed to do? What are they supposed to do? I mean, not only are they victims. Isn't that who we should be protecting is, is, Children. Yeah, you're right. That's right. We're talking about children. So, you know, Michaela Maroney, I saw her testimony. She's like 23 now, but she was 15 when this was all happening. It's like, if the parents and the coaches and the people that were involved in the situation won't protect the girls, who will? And I think this is what got you fired up and pissed off is that, you know, you have four daughters, I have two daughters. And, you know, it really doesn't matter whether it's male or female, but we've we've had that discussion here before. Men are notoriously stronger, more intimidating. I mean, we have more of a physical presence. It doesn't mean there's not a quality and there's not things that need to be that need to be kind of, like you said, change in society. But I mean, it is our job as adults, forget male or female, it's our job as adults to protect the children. And um, yes. not only did they have some intel, uh, but uh, but they didn't do what they were supposed to do. And they, they acknowledged as such in front of Congress saying, gosh, I wish we had done it better. But how many times do we have to say that, right? That's Jerry Sandusky and Joe Paterno. Gosh, I wish we had done better. Mm-hmm. You know, we knew that he was doing some of these things or some people knew that he was doing these things for years and years. And I mean, it's just, it's it's ultimately really frustrating and really disheartening. And we need to learn from it. We need to be better. I mean, the emails are not going to, they're not going to go away. Yes. So we're going to find out, you know, maybe now or next year or 10 years from now, we're going to find out who knew what, when, but I agree with you. Let's have some consequences. We try that in our house, logical consequences for the kids. You know, you didn't feed the dog today. Well, you know, you have to go in the basement. You don't get food. No, that's not the consequence. But, <laughs> um, but you know, there's logical consequences for not doing your chores, right? You can't go out tonight or you can't do that or no, you can't take the car. I mean, these are just really simple principles that could be applied across the board. And I don't think there's any reason. I mean, apology isn't, isn't good enough. And I think that's what those girls were saying. Thanks for the apology. Yeah. You know, when I was 14 or 15 and this was going on and you guys knew it was going on. It's bullshit. Mm-hmm. It is bullshit. It sucks. I wish there was a way to correct it. And again, like, tell you nail it too, man. 
Quit saying, I wish we would have done it differently. You know you could have done it differently. They admitted to it, so why didn't they? And that's why I think there needs to be a shakeup. And it need, the way to correct it is to eliminate the issue. And the issue was the people in charge right now who are saying, I wish I would have. Yep. Uh, I, I believe in second chances, but th they've had more than enough chances to, to get this right. So find somebody who will get it right the first time. And that's what we ultimately try and teach our kids, too. Do it right the first time so you don't have to go back and correct the mistake. Uh, that's right. Tuttle. Your turn. What'll Tuttle say? Nice. Hey, um, so we'll lighten the mood a little bit, uh, but not too much. We'll go back to the the family side of this. Um, I basically wrote down a question this week, which is who cries the easiest? And I think it's a little bit of a loaded question because I think the answer could be um, yours truly in our house. But uh, there's five of us. I got two girls. One of my daughters, um, I'm going to keep her uh, anonymous on the podcast, but uh, I don't think she listens. But, you know, her default at the end of the day, regardless of how she communicates or whatever it is, is a tear. You know, it's just, it turns into a tear. Like, how was your math test today? Oh, I just, uh, oh, you got a hundred? Oh, okay. Then why are you crying? Well, I don't really know. Um, <laughs> it, there's, it's just funny. And that takes a lot for me to get used to growing up with a brother and in a house, my, our house was yes. three men and one one woman and uh, my mom could make us cry really easily. So she was certainly not in that group either. But uh, <laughs> I just have one daughter that communicates via tears and both my daughters, as you know, are 12. So I'm just wondering if they outgrow it. If you want to say who the cries easiest in your house, they can remain nameless as well. But I will, I guess one last thing say that it really is probably me, but it's usually not in front of them. It's usually at the end of the day, I'll go to my <laughs> wife and say, I just, I don't understand it. I don't get why she cries when, you know, she's happy and why she cries when she's sad and why she cries when I ask her how her math test was or how soccer practice was. It's just not something I'm used to. And I'm sure there could be a lot of other issues tied there, whether it be hormonal or things like that, that she's just, you know, learning and growing. But my wife pointed out she did that when she was two years old as well. So I just have a crier in the house, but I think ultimately it makes me cry the easiest. So um, I don't know That's if you want to out anybody, but uh, I just think it's a funny way to communicate. And I'm learning and growing as a father, as I have a weeper in yeah. the house. No, we, we definitely have one and, uh, she's <laughs> the same it. way where, <laughs> where, you know, she, she'll get to the point where she just cracks and the, you know, the, the reaction is to cry, but at the same time, it's, it's both in a, in a sad fashion, but also in a happy fashion. Like, you know, she's had some of the best moments and cried. She's had some of the worst moments and cried. So it, it, it is just, okay. it's a, it's a personality trait. It's, it's how they react. You know, maybe it's the expression on my face too, because I'm, I, I now the father of four girls, I am a crier at anything that goes on just because I'm, I'm either so overly proud or I'm just feeling the emotion of, of being around them. Uh, you have, Daughters that are 12, wait until the hormones kick in, and then you'll really yeah. be confused about what's going on because you'll get the crying while something great is happening, but it'll just be this horrific weeping and you're going, oh, we'll get through this. You know, so I've yeah. learned a lot, you know, in being the father of four girls, which I'm grateful for. And fortunately, my wife is able to enlighten me into, you know, some of the inner workings of what's going on. But uh, I've definitely gotten to the point where, oh. Okay, I get it. And I'll just kind yeah. of back off. I've learned to pull back a little bit instead of being, what the hell's wrong? Why is everybody crying? You know, because that's that dude mentality where you want to fix everything. I'm still at that stage, bummer. <laughs> I'm going to have to lean on you big time. And your girls are ahead yeah. of mine, which is great. I mean, now my son, 16, I mean, I've heard from our neighbor, they have a 16-year-old daughter. Uh, the 16-year-olds sound very similar regardless of sex, male or female. I mean, the aloof, <laughs> yes, the aloof, the, the aloof devil may care. Like, why the hell are you bugging me attitude is pretty prevalent. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I'm going to lean on you big time because you've been through it. And, you know, the solving thing, I mean, that's the men are from Mars, women are from Venus. But uh, yeah, mm -hmm. it can be challenging. But I think what you just said really... Uh, illustrates what, what I'm, you know, I, I want to solve it, but I don't get why she's crying and I don't understand it. And I get, you know, I go through stages like, why are you, why are you crying? You know, you get the gritted yeah. teeth and I really, you know, you love your kids. And oh. like you said, we're doing the right thing. It's just, uh, it can be maddening on both sides. And when she cries, it makes me cry out of frustration sometimes or out of yep. sympathy or empathy. So I, it's just a, it's a rigmarole, but, uh, I do have I think what you hit, what you said, it's just a personality trait. And I just, you think with the same parents and the same genetics, essentially, right? Like the DNA should be very similar. 
you have four kids, I have three, and they're all so darn different that um, you know, it keeps <laughs> yeah. it keeps us on our toes. And that was ultimately what I was trying to get at. Yeah. No, and it's a lot of fun. That's you know, it, I mean this. It is the joy of parenting, and I'm trying to embrace the best of it because my days are limited. You still have plenty of time with your kids in school, but my days are limited in the sense of when, of how long my daughters will be in my house. I have a senior potentially going to college. I've got three juniors potentially going to college. So in the next two years, you know, two years from now, if we're still doing this podcast, I may not have any distractions in my house at all. Because I was just going to say this podcast, we're going to do like we're going to do a podcast every day. I know. Yeah, I may want to. I may just. <laughs> be in here just looking at myself talking to myself because there's nobody else that'll listen to me in this me, house me, me, me. yeah uh, I'll, I'll be the brooks kepska brooks kepka of of the blum household where it's like me what about me you know but uh it's interesting and i do love it and i i you know i truly believe you get this probably too having three kids they're like oh my god you got too many kids and then i tell people i have four girls and they're like oh you're cursed and i want to absolutely rip their heads off because yeah. the four girls have been the greatest thing that have ever happened to me because it is it has shown me a side of myself that i have never never knew i would even want to understand but now understanding yeah. what i do and being around them they've they've kind of refined me a little bit and i appreciate that but you're getting in the thick of it I want you to enjoy it. Call me anytime. I, I, I'm not perfect at it, but I'm willing to learn at it. And I think that's probably the other thing about being a parent is that you still have to learn even from your kids who you're trying to parent. Learning every day. That's why we're on this podcast. You know, what's funny is uh, <laughs> living in a house with four women as you do. I'm sorry, five women. Uh, and I live in a house with three women. Uh is a little bit different than being in a clubhouse with 24 other guys like dudes. Yeah. I mean, just, it's a, it's subtly different. And, you know, we spent yeah. our formative years in that, in that environment. So just, know. you know, bear Add with us folks. Equation. Yeah. Right. You know, I know we're not Neanderthals. We're trying to be sensitive men, but you know, we grew up in a clubhouse folks and you've heard some of the stories. So <laughs> yeah, I think that, that transition is what makes it really difficult. So true. Blummer, you know, so you know, I'm going to lean on you hard for this and uh you know good luck to Ezekiel Elliott this week. We always like yeah. to close out the podcast thinking Pray about first <laughs> Pray for Zeke. That sounds a little extreme. Uh, we always like to close out the podcast thinking about first responders. Um, obviously, last week was 9-11, the 20th anniversary. Um, we had we touched on that, but first responders, military, and uh, obviously uh, any any of those frontline workers uh, in the healthcare industry. I think, Blummer, you've given a shout out to teachers as well, which we are greatly a appreciative of, um, you know, long-term good teachers who also are dealing with, you know, some of the COVID issues still, you know, working in an environment that's a little bit unique, whether it be part-time school, homeschool, or just in school with masks on. So uh, again, we're uh, grateful and appreciative of everyone out there doing some things that uh, we're not necessarily willing to do, but take advantage of the freedoms and the, uh, and the rights that you guys provide for us. So that's uh, near and abroad, and we're very grateful here on the Bleacher Blumps podcast. Please don't forget to rate, review, subscribe to the Bleacher Blumps podcast. You can get at Blummer at Blummer27. Uh, on both Instagram and Twitter, myself at Real David Tuttle, both Instagram and Twitter. And uh, of course, the Bleacher Blums has its own presence on YouTube. We have short hops, uh, bleacherblums.com. You can get us get at us at the mailbag. And then don't don't forget to uh, subscribe to us on uh, both Twitter and Instagram at Bleacher Blums. So gosh, that's a lot of that's a lot of stuff. You, 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 if you can't get a hold of us, you ain't trying. That's the way I look at it. So, Blummer, let's leave the fans with something great. That's what we do at the end of every podcast. Great info, Tuttle. Great podcast. Everybody who's listening, get after it. Most of all, believe it. Meanwhile, me and Tuttle were in the back going, man, did you see that game last night? And just totally ignoring our kids.